Blue foul will take a shot downfield. Remember that for your highlight show tonight. Brucon to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! A snap gets by Nip. He has to chase it inside the 10. He dives on it. It is loose and it is picked up by Jacob Callier. Callier's got it to four yard line. A turnover and the freshman with another big play for Colorado. Oh, there's Lindsay. He's gone. Lindsay's gone. Montez with all kinds of time. Here's back, rifles it downfield. Shea Fields on the left shoulder makes the grab. Runs away from a defender at the 10. Into the end zone. Big play, Shea. Touchdown. Touchdown, Colorado. Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Monster Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com. Here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. The Buffaloes are bowless in 2017. Yeah, didn't really see that one coming to start the year. Uh, pretty disappointing end result, obviously, especially since we were three opportunities down the stretch to find a way to get one. Uh, didn't find didn't find that at all. Um, but it's, I don't know, I guess it's not really that surprising to me, given how we played the rest of the year. It seems like we just fell short in every situation, pretty much. So to, to fall short of a bowl doesn't really surprise me at this point. I think some of the early season freakouts from CU fans over the eyeball test that this team just did not look as good as it should have, even in wins, really kind of was validated as we continue to go through the season. I'm at about, I don't know, 75%. I got a little bug right now, Tyler. You just got over a cold. Can you pick up that other 25% or should we yeah, yeah. temper expectations no, for this yeah. podcast? I think I'm ready for you. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, it was pretty disastrous in Salt Lake City. They, again, come out to the shoot and can't do anything. They were down, what, 28 nothing at halftime? Yeah. yeah. Late season buys are typically a negative, but it's obviously still not a, an excuse for their poor performance out there at Utah. No, it's not an excuse for a poor performance at all, but, I mean, we're always terrible after a buy, so it wasn't exactly surprising to see that trend continue. Just the way this team was playing this year, I really questioned whether or not they even cared to show up in this game. The answer was given to us pretty quickly now I mean in the second half they they definitely came out with some fight but it would have been nice for this team to you know show up and play hard so they don't get embarrassed before they were actually getting embarrassed yeah Philip Lindsay even said hey look we were equal teams they wanted it more than us and uh, Utah averaged 6.5 yards per play including six yards per rush you look at it against Utah Oregon State and Cal the other three lowest-ranked offenses in terms of scoring this season, the Buffaloes gave up an average of 32 points in those games. Those were the games where the defense should have played much better than it did. Yep. Yeah, I mean, defensively, I think it's really just as simple as this team didn't have the horses up front to slow anybody down, and that's going to make your defense hard to have success. Yeah, we had discussed, at least last season against Washington, that they, as good as Samson Kafavalu, Jordan Carroll, and Josh Tupo were, they couldn't 
play against those elite teams in terms of up front. This year, they can play against really anybody with mm-hmm. those three guys. Yeah, uh, I mean, you have three guys who are, I mean, one that's oversized, but not in shape, and then you have two guys who are undersized for their position, and you're just going to get run over, especially when you're running a three-man front. Yeah. The Buffs finish 0-5 on national TV. No bowl practices for the ninth time in 10 years. I think the no, no bowl practices is probably a bigger deal than anything, right? Yeah, uh, last in the division again. Uh, the only team in the South to not make a bowl game, which is not a position you want to be in either. Uh, I think the South was probably better than people expected this year, which had something to do with it. We didn't win a game against a team in the South in the conference this year either. Definitely a disappointing overall year. Isaiah Oliver returned to action in that Utah game. He said he's undecided on his future. I got to think that he's going pro, right? Yeah, I mean, he's, most people consider him to be a first or second round pick right now. I think that's comfortable, you know, like comfortably you should be going into the draft at that point. I certainly couldn't blame him if he did. Obviously, I'd love to have him back. He's a great player, and him being healthy would have done a lot for our defense in the second half of the year for sure. Uh, you know, I think for him it'll just come down to whether or not he's ready to give up track. You yeah, know, I think he enjoys that stuff quite a bit and has a chance to be really special there. And if he wants to continue that, he obviously needs to stay in school. So, Well, the silver lining there for him is in terms of preparing for the combine, you do a lot of those same things. Right. And he is going to get an invite to the combine if he comes out. Oh, yeah. And I mean, he's, he's going to star in, in that combine. Oh, yeah. You put him in a combine setting, he's going to drive, uh, drive up draft boards for sure. Yeah. I mean, he's just a freak athlete. I saw someone on the board saying he'll be a – round one pick or a round two pick if he runs ahead of four, four five. And I was just like, I resisted the urge to just respond with, he could run a high uh, four, five with a broken leg. <laughs> like there's a 0% chance he's not running four or five at the combine. Yeah. He did have the injury this year and he doesn't have a ton of tape, but again, he's such a physical freak. NFL team will take him early and if Kenneth Crawley can earn an NFL paycheck, then Isaiah also will starter. make a very good living <laughs> yeah. in the NFL. Yeah, he's a starter on a really good defense, right. too. I mean, so, yeah, Crawley didn't have the greatest college career. I mean, you saw the physical tools and that he was going to have a chance somewhere in the NFL, but he's definitely exceeded expectations. I, don't, I, I mean, Akella Witherspoon is starting now as well. I mean, Isaiah Oliver is a day-one starter in the NFL if yeah. those two guys are starting. Given that Crawley is a starter for the Saints – is he like? Can you look back and say that he underperformed with his talent more than any player in the, in terms of when we've been doing this podcast? Well, I mean, no, not more than any. Maybe that didn't get in trouble. Um, yeah, I mean, he definitely wasn't great at Colorado, but you know, I mean, I don't know. Bakhtiari wasn't that great, and then who was the lineman that was on the Broncos forever? Who was terrible in college? <laughs> uh, he was around my era. Graduated somewhere in the mid two thousands. Hmm. He was on the Chiefs. Tyler Columbus, who okay, was like a ten year NFL. He was veteran. a good college lineman, though. He was okay. I mean, I did not think he was going to spend ten years in the NFL. I'll tell you that for sure. Well, going back to the current, well, I guess kind of current buffs. Ryan Muller was unable to play. Kind of sad, you know, for him. A guy yeah. that walked on, really batted through a lot of stuff, and couldn't play on Senior Day, and then obviously couldn't play in the season finale. Yeah, he would have been a guy out there laying. It all out on the line. Yeah, Tim Coleman for me, too. It was a bummer to see yeah. kind of him struggle to stay healthy throughout his entire career as a guy who definitely loved being a Colorado guy. He's a personable kid. You're almost glad for him that he's going to stop trying to put his body mm-hmm. into, into rehab and try to get back. I think it's time for him to hang up those those uh, cleats and, and yeah. go do something 
great in life. Bryce Bobo passed the 60-catch mark as a senior, just the ninth 60-catch season in CU history. And Bryce Bobo and Philip Lindsay both accepted invites to the Shrine Bowl. I know Bobo had a couple drops there, but of those receivers, and certainly all of them had their moments where you wanted to pull your hair out as, as a CU fan out there, he had a good senior season. Yeah, he was definitely solid. Um, I mean, we said before the year, he probably has the best NFL draft prospects of those three guys. I still feel that way. I mean, yeah, he definitely had some big drops this season and wasn't as good as I was hoping to see. But of the three, he was definitely the most productive for sure. And I think, again, you get him into a combine setting and people will fall in love with him a little bit. He's got huge hands. He's going to run fairly well, I think. His vertical will probably... Uh, pop some eyes. He's a, he's a b- bigger kid than people give him credit for, I think. He'll have a chance to get drafted. He had a really tough childhood, comes in, battles injuries, a little bit of immaturity early on in his career. You could see he, he matured as, over the course of his five years in Boulder, so it's good to see that. CU finishes ranked 107th nationally in rushing defense. They basically made Zach Moss and Demario Richard look like Walter Payton out there. How do you fix the missed tackles issue to me it's really as simple as you had guys playing new positions drew lewis we always knew going in was having issues with the schemes and that was going to miss some assignments and that kind of stuff getting him more comfortable in the defense will be big in that regard on the d-line there just wasn't the talent and size there i mean you're not going to tackle guys falling backwards and that's what the d-line was doing all day it's a lot easier to run through someone than fall over backwards and try to grab them by the ankles there's some other cringeworthy <laughs> stats i got to share here CU ranked 11th in the conference in scoring, which Mike McIntyre early in the season vowed that wouldn't happen. It did. 109th nationally in total defense. We knew they were going to take a step back, but as the season wore on, that that group got worse and worse. Oregon State's the only other Pac-12 team that recorded less sacks on the season. Yeah. Pass rush was obviously an issue. Washington State was the only other Pac-12 team that gave up more sacks on the season. So not only are you not getting a pass rush, You've given up more sacks than all but one other Pac-12 team. And despite Philip Lindsay's impressive season, the Buffs ranked 77th in the country in rushing offense. Which is crazy because Montez was decently successful running the ball as well. So Yeah, that puts it into perspective, right? Yeah, how do you figure that? I mean, it's crazy to see that number. Um, yeah, I mean, the lines are the problem with this program right now, and there's really no other way to say it. I mean, offensively, I think there's guys in the pipeline that can help that improve immediately. Defensively, we should be recruiting 46 defensive linemen right now, and we're <laughs> not. So I don't yeah. really know what you're going to do there. They're going to have to find a way to get some guys. I thought Malumba improved, honestly, He's, throughout the year. So like him coming back is nice. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to like vouch for Frank Umu to come back at this point, honestly, based on what happened there. But it would be really nice to have him back in the fold from a football perspective next year. Yeah, he's what they're missing. That's the the tough part, too, is let's say you're struggling at receiver or one of the skill positions. You can recruit into that and have pretty much instant success with some of those freshmen. But the lines, you got to cultivate and develop that talent. Right. The fact that they don't have what they need in the pipeline there going forward. We'll get into this more about pessimistic things about this program, but that's got to be at the top of the list. Oh, it's easily at the top of the list for sure. And even offensive line, I'm pretty pessimistic there, even though I do think there are guys to fill the gaps because you have to come and improve it. And we've heard a lot. I mean, we heard before the year Jonathan Huckins was going to have a huge year, and that certainly didn't become the case. Right tackle Aaron Hagler, we had high expectations there. That did not become the case. Timmy Lynott was pretty good, but I don't think took the step that we were expecting going forward this year either. 
you know, there's got to be some improvement there somewhere. Yeah. It's not a positive per se, but the staff does get extra time out on the road recruiting. We are actually going to have a premium podcast coming up on Friday, and we're just basically going to focus on CU football recruiting. So anybody that subscribes to buffstampede.com will kind of get our thoughts. We're going to run down the commit list, rank our favorite commits. We're going to talk about who's trying to poach some of these guys. We're really going to kind of break down the recruiting there. So I definitely hope you check out that show. The team banquet will be on December 10th, and that's when they hand out their post season team awards. Tyler, I thought it'd be fun to kind of run down the list really quick and predict who's going to win each of these awards. Some of these are pretty easy choices. You basically tell me if you don't agree with any of my picks here. The Zach Jordan Award for Most Valuable Player is obviously Philip Lindsay. He will win that. John Mack Award is for Outstanding Offensive Player. Sometimes I think they try to give it to somebody that didn't win the MVP to kind of share the love a little bit. Philip Lindsay's the pick there. If not, Bryce Bobo probably? Yeah, probably is the guy you go to. It's going to Definitely go to a senior, so, I mean, there's not really another option. I mean, they could say maybe Jeremy Irwin, but that would be reaching. Yeah. The Dave Jones Award is for the Outstanding Defensive Player, and I'm guessing that Rick Gamble will probably win this, but my pick, if it was up to me, would be, actually be Evan Worthington. Yeah, I agree. I think Evan Worthington would um, get it for me as well. Again, they'll probably try to find a way to give it to a senior, so it wouldn't surprise me if it was Leo Jackson. Okay. That wouldn't be the worst pick either. I would actually take Leo over probably Rick Gamboa. I would for sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, and Drew Lewis is in the discussion too, but as the season wore along, he actually started getting benched more and more for Nate Landman, so that would be tough to give him the defensive MVP. Yeah, Landman looked fantastic, so I'm excited about his future for sure. Yeah. But Evan Worthington, even going back to the Utah game, he was like the one guy you watch and go, I know that guy is still giving everything he's got. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think he was our best defensive player this year, so he would be the one that I – that I picked. I mean, obviously Isaiah Oliver, but it's tough for those guys sometimes to get the recognition they deserve because they just don't throw at you. If you're Isaiah mm-hmm. Oliver, you know, which means you're doing your job, but you're not exactly flashing on the field typically. Yeah. <laughs> for him, it was more just an injury issue, missing right. action. Bill McCartney Award is for special teams achievement. I had co-winners here between Alex Kinney and Bo Bichirat. Yeah, I think both of those are pretty good. Uh, I mean, field goal kicker, obviously, would be in there as yeah. well for me. I mean, but he, he had a pretty big year. He struggled a little <clears throat> bit down the stretch, which knocked him off the, off my list. Yeah, a little. I mean, I would say overall he was a lot better than we all expected this year. So I would say that was pretty impressive. But, yeah, Bo Bichirat uh, as a special teams guy is pretty special. I had one of my subliminal tweets during the Utah game, and it's like, huh, he still looks really amazing Yeah, that would chasing be, people down and tackling them. That would be <laughs> nice. I'd like to put him in a pass rushing situation as well. The Lee Willard Award goes to the Outstanding Freshman. I had co-winners here again with LaVisca Chenault and Nate Lamon. If I had to pick, maybe Nate Lamon, just because he got a little bit more consistent run towards the end. I would think the kicker is probably going to win. James Stefano? Yeah, James okay. Stefano is going to get this one. He's 30 him. years old, so he didn't even cross yeah, my yeah, mind for this award. But still, I mean, he had a good year. Um, I, don't, I don't hate yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, besides that, there's not a ton of options, which is both a good and a bad thing, I guess. Um, for me, it would probably be uh, LaVisca scored, so that might give him the edge there. Okay. Offensive Scott Player of the Year, I went Alex Fontenelle. You talked to defensive players that he was pretty impressive. That's two, what I like to hear. Two thumbs I went, up from Tyler. I went out on a real limb there to say that he's probably going to start running back next year. So hopefully I don't look completely crazy with that one. Well, you would hope that you don't want to see a situation again where you have seniors that get playing time because they're seniors. 
Right. Whoever, and you've got Donovan Lee coming back, Kyle Evans coming back. Alex Fontenot is the best. You really hope that they play him yeah. and don't do that again. I will say they haven't done a ton of that in the running backs room. I mean, like, Philip Lindsay definitely ended up taking that job from mm-hmm. older guys. Um, they obviously didn't just throw Kyle Evans out there to throw him out there this year or, or Donovan Lee. I mean, they redshirted him. So they've definitely tried to get the guy with the talent in the ball. So we'll see if that continues. Defensive Scott Player of the Year was Jonathan Van Deest. Unfortunately, he suffered a torn ACL, but he was the guy that came out there every day with the motor. Just such a, a great kid. You just hope those injuries stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's, he was pretty much the one guy that we heard a ton from this offseason. The Derek Singleton Award goes to the player that shows the most spirit, dedication, and enthusiasm. That has to be Phil <laughs> <Yeah>. Lindsay. <laughs> There's yes. not another choice there. The Tyron Tiger Bussy Award goes to somebody that uh, was inspirational in the face of physical adversity. I'm probably going to say Isaac Miller. Really? Okay, so this one was really easy for me. It was Derek McCartney. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. Coming back from injury and also the whole donor thing. I think. Sure, I sure. Think probably okay, get that one. that's probably right. Great dedication and work ethic has to be Phil Lindsay. Yeah. yeah. Eddie Crowder Award for Outstanding Team Leadership. I said Lindsay and Leo Jackson here yeah, as no. co-winners. <clears throat> yep, that seems fair. Offensive Trench Award. No one. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeremy Irwin only gave up a sack and a half on the season. The O-line as a whole was uh, credited with giving up 21 and a half. So I would go yeah. with <laughs> Yes. All right, by default. By default. Defense Trench Award, easy answer here. Leo Jackson, 23 more tackles than any other defense alignment. 11 tackles for a loss, one of just five defensive players to play over 700, 100 snaps. I know that defensive line was much maligned in for good cause, but he was the one bright spot there. Yep. Yeah, it makes it, it reminds you of how quickly things can go out of whack, even if you have one guy playing pretty well. They just got to run in the other direction. Yeah. So. And then lastly, best interview, which is actually selected by the team Beat Media. We will get an email about that. I'll get to vote in this. And I voted for Philip Lindsay last year. He won the award. He deserved it. And I love Philip Lindsay. I've said he is my favorite CU athlete I've ever covered. But when you start coming to media scrums and tell us what we can and can't ask you, I'm sorry, you can't be the best interview. He said, we're not talking about the last game like every time he came up to us. And that eliminates you from this. (laughs) And he's not the most charismatic guy. But Isaiah Oliver, I feel like if you ask him a question... You, you trust his answer. It's not just player slash coach speak. It's like what he genuinely feels. So he was my pick there. There you go. I respect that. But he's not going to win it. I know Philip Lindsay will win it again, which, again, I think he deserved it last year, but I don't think he does this year. I updated the pipeline, the eligibility chart on the site, and just staring at that defensive line pipeline going, hmm, this is not good, Tyler. No. Uh, but then I look at the outside linebacker, guys like Dante Sparacco, Jacob Collier, Michael Matthews, Hasselback, Benny, and these outside backers that almost seem to be tweeners. And I throw out the suggestion that maybe at least until you can recruit to play a three-man front, maybe you go 4-2-5. Am I crazy to, to suggest that? I mean, you're not crazy because they got to do something. I mean, the 3-4 is predicated on having elite defensive linemen, and we don't even have good defensive linemen. So the, the scheme does not fit our rotation right now. I guess my issue is that you have more mediocre 
players on the field if we run a four-two-five. And I don't think any of the guys moving over outside of Dante Sparacco really fit that mold either. You need Collier. As a down lineman, I mean, in he's, high school he looked really good in that role. He's pretty small. I don't know. I, I'd like to give him more of a running start. They, I think they just need to be more of a hybrid. They get come. They got to come out in different formations all the time. Okay. And they got to recruit some JUCO D linemen. I think is really the only way you save this right now. So. Yeah. At some point, you got to go away from that, though. Well, this can't be the year. I mean, you, they need someone on the field because if they go, the team they have next year, they're going to get run over. Okay. Yeah, like Chris Malumba, Lyle Tuiloma can actually play that nose tackle role, but just not conditioning wise. He can't do it more than what? I mean, you're 25, 30 the only, in a game. You probably have to play him and Edwards together. And Terrence Lang has gained weight. Let's not just be 100% negative here. There are a few guys there. Yeah, I mean, if it was me, I would be moving Sparaco and Terrence Lang is starting next year. And you take your lumps probably next year. I don't think the staff can play for 2019, though, next year. I mean, what are you going to do that (laughs) gives you everything you need next year? I just don't think there's a great option right now. So, honestly, I would rather just see how it plays out. Sparaco always seems to play well if you give him an opportunity. Guys will get better as the year goes on. I honestly think that's your best option right now is to try to play those young kids and get them as ready as possible. Sparaco, if he's told you're going to be a down lineman, he can put that weight on easily. Easily. Yeah. Easily. And he's athletic enough to be a good pass rusher out of that 3-4-2, which is tough. I mean, it's tough to be a pass rusher in a 3-4. And I, it, just, it just blows my mind with all the struggles they've had finding that guy. He's staring you right in the face, and they still don't seem to be considering it at all. One thing I found interesting, too, is kind of watching the sidelines with my binoculars and just seeing who's getting other people excited. You see sometimes really young guys like a Sparaco doing that. You kind of want him following other people, but it wasn't the case on this team this last year. Yeah. What makes us pessimistic about the future of CU football, Tyler, before we start talking a little bit more positive? I mean, I think everything we've been talking about, the D-line. You don't win football games if you can't stop anybody. Um, And it's tough to stop somebody, both especially running and also passing, if you can't get to the quarterback and you can't create pressure. So that's my main concern. It's the one thing I think you need in a football team, and it's really the only thing they've struggled with recruiting-wise, in my eyes, since McIntyre's been here, which is starting to become a major problem. There are a few things on my list as well. There's a negative undercurrent now that you have to deal with this offseason, and they shouldn't have had to deal with it at all last season because of the whole Tumpkin saga. It's almost been about 12 months now where there's been a lot of negative stuff going on with this program. Mm -hmm. They haven't just been able to get over the hump there. Offensive tackle going forward scares me a little bit. Safety pipeline's a little bit thin. How in the world can you replace Philip Lindsay? Yeah, I mean, not only from a leadership perspective, but a statistical perspective as well. I mean, I do think they can use Montez more in a Lufau role going forward running the ball, and I think they can have some success there that will alleviate some of the stress. Uh, But one of the other running backs is going to have to step up as the go-to guy for sure. What makes you optimistic about the future? I think there's a lot of talent in the pipeline. There's young guys that found success in all those places. Skill positions are in pretty good shape, I would say. They recruit the defensive backfield extremely well. We keep worrying about safety. Um, 
that seems to have worked out in the past. I mean, they've had fairly good safety play the last few years. I like the guys who are coming back at safety next year if they stay healthy. Just the depth is the only thing that scares me there. Yeah, but they found guys to plug in there. Um, You know, like, for some reason, I still feel like the program will be okay even if McIntyre leaves, which I, I haven't felt like that with the previous coaching staffs, like, I see, still see more positive trajectory with this program, even though this was a rough year. Steven Montez wasn't in the pessimistic section. Does he belong in the optimistic section? Did he sh- show enough as the season went along? I mean, I like him quite a bit. I understand why people were frustrated by him this year, but if mo- if we take care of half of those drops, he has a pretty damn good year. And at some point, you should be relying on these seniors to focus and actually catch the football. And honestly, I'm not even going to lie. I've been talking about the wide receiver core all year. Next year's wide receiver core is better than this year's was. I was saying I think it's going to happen before. I can guarantee you it will happen now. I said before the year I think KB Anento is this team's best NFL draft prospect at wide receiver among the upperclassmen before this year. I 100% believe that still to this day. I think he's going to have a really good year. I think he wants to play. He's got a lot to prove. He's come from small schools. He had no offers. Sometimes you need those guys on the football field. And I think they don't have a choice but to give LaVisca Chenault the ball next year, and that's going to work out pretty well. Uh, Montez has worked with those kids more than he did with his senior crowd. Uh, I, I expect him to have a much bigger year. I think he understands now that he has to be a leader or the team will struggle, and uh, he got a pretty good taste of that, and I expect him to get better. I mentioned the offensive tackle as being a concern. I, I do like the interior of the O-line going forward, especially if Tim Lenock can get healthy with uh, Colby Purcell, who we've heard great things about. He's going to take over at center. Will Sherman is a man. Uh, Grant Pauley has got a lot of ability. I think interior-wise on the O-line, they could be pretty good going forward too. Yeah, I mean, I think Drew has really got to hammer the boys this year. You could tell this team was not very strong. Um, well, some of that, though, goes back to recruiting. You you, ma- you can max out your body. And oh, for sure. You can't get mad at Jonathan Huckins for not pushing around a 300-pound nose tackle. Like, that just is not in the cards for him. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's probably true, but he was recruited here to be, you know, it's not his fault per se, but at the end of the day, he's not getting the job done. So at some point, they got to find kids who have a big enough frame to get that done. It's a weed-out offseason. You, you find out who's committed. And who's not committed? The problem is most of the young guys, I think, are bought in. They just weren't playing. Uh, I think you're going to weed out a lot of the frustration just by graduation, and maybe you'll lose a few of the upperclassmen. But I, I don't. there's not really names that are popping out to me in the freshman and sophomore class that it's like, ooh, they probably won't stick. Yeah, there are a lot of young, talented players. LaVisca Chenault, Nate Lamb, and Katie Nixon, Alex Fontenot, Colby Purcell, Will Sherman, Terrence Lang. That's definitely yeah, John Van Deest. John Van Deest. You know, Eudofia, even though he kind of got in the doghouse a little bit, has a lot of talent as well. You know? They do have solid established specialists. Alex Kinney will be coming back as a senior next year. Mm-hmm. James Stefano yeah, as thought, a sophomore. I thought, by and large, the special teams was really good this year. Now the blocks became Outside of a few again. plays, yeah. Um, you know, that does happen from time to time. You know, if you have one block in a year, that's fine. But multiple starts to become a concern. But again, that's physicality. That's blocking. That's the same things we've talked about before. I mean, we know who it was that missed those assignments. And guess what? They play on the line. You know? So that's where you need to improve that stuff. Maybe the biggest challenge going into the offseason is the fact that 
in, in the past, you just make an assumption that a unit is going to get better, and mm-hmm. the O-line didn't, and it should have. It's hard to project now, I feel like. It is because we don't get to see anything. You know, it's a lot easier if we were there. I mean, that's, you know, I'll still say that till, till we die. I can tell you if someone's playing well if I'm staring there watching them play. I can, I can only relay what people say to me otherwise. So that's that was probably my biggest frustration this year is typically if I get eyes on a team, you get a pretty good idea of what you're going to see. And if you don't, you're guessing. And I don't like guessing when my name is on the line. Sure. Before we jump into the Buff Stampede mailbag, we've got some coaching stuff to talk about. Chip Kelly is hired at UCLA. Is that a slam dunk? For college, I think it really is. I mean, he was terrible in the NFL, but, uh, I mean, he really did a great job in L.A. at Oregon. You expect him to do a very good job in L.A., obviously, when he's in L.A. Um, I think it's it's fun because I don't like Chip Kelly and I don't like UCLA, so it'll be super easy to continue hating on him. Well, he's just going to drive you crazy with the success they have, though. I don't, I mean, I still think they're the second best program in L.A. I don't know that that's going to change, honestly. Kids are still going to love what the Trojans do there. I, I still, you know, I, I can't see that flipping anytime soon. I guess we'll see. Um, they always had talent. You know, I think he'll obviously find a way to use it more so. But I don't think it really hurts us on the recruiting trail necessarily because we're not competing for those kids anyway at this yeah. point. Um but I think it'll hurt some of the other schools, like the Arizona schools, I think, should be concerned because they usually do a good job of getting a couple four-stars out of Cali a year, and now those kids are probably going to stay home more often. It seems like the two programs in the Pac-12 that have a little bit of a country club atmosphere would be Oregon and UCLA. So the fact that Chip Kelly had the success he had at Oregon makes you feel like, if you're a UCLA fan, that he can kind of fix some of that stuff going in there and embracing the flash and actually getting kids to buy into that and I don't know. It, it, it seems like he would. he's literally the perfect fit for that program. Yeah, I agree. He definitely is a very good fit for what they want to do. Um, it's, it sounds like a negative, but it's really not. Just like his style of play fits into what UCL is. It's a diva school. They're kind of soft. Mm-hmm. And Chip Kelly, you know, he works around those things at Oregon. They were not a, they were not a physical football team by any stretch. Um, so I think from that perspective, he fits in a little bit there. Jonathan Smith takes over it. Oregon State. Uh, it sounded like it was maybe going to be a Bo Baldwin, but it's not. I don't honestly know a whole lot about Jonathan Smith. I mean, he's got a ton of talent in Washington, so it's hard to really. They have fun schemes. I'll say that. Like traditionally, their offense had a lot of cool stuff. But it, is it because Miles Gaskin is so versatile and Dante Pettis is so versatile, um, or I mean, Chris Peterson too? Right. Yeah. You don't really know what you're getting yourself into there. Um, their quarterback was terrible and got a lot of credit, so I don't know if he made him look good or if he made him look bad. I guess we'll find out. Uh, but, yeah, it wasn't the biggest oh, Browning Old fan. noodle arm. <laughs> I can't stand Browning, and it drives me nuts that people think he's good. <laughs> Herm Edwards apparently is going to be the new coach at Arizona State. Penny need president's approval this weekend. He's coming back from China. He's got to meet with him to approve this whole thing. I don't know, man. That yeah. that is one of the more head scratching hires <laughs> Here's in college football recently. I love Herm Edwards on TV. He's a great guy. Um, he's a total opposite personality of Todd Graham, which on the surface seems good. Um, I think all the kids that are there are going to hate him. I think he has no idea what he's doing. He hasn't coached in college in almost forty years. He hasn't coached period in almost a decade. 
it's really suspect. Like I don't know. I mean, he's gonna he's gonna win over parents for sure because he's a religious guy and very personable, says all the right things. I definitely have an in home with Herm Edwards. Right, exactly. <laughs> but I don't know, man. It's it's ballsy. I'll say that for sure. <laughs> like it's definitely ballsy, uh, especially given Todd Graham. You know, they finished second in the South and were supposed to be pretty mediocre this year. So they obviously there was something that they didn't like. I'm sure it was the same things that all of us on the outside didn't like about Todd Graham. Yeah, we had that but, question about who do you hate the most, and it was unanimous, easy Todd Graham. But if I'm an ASU fan, I'm pissed off right now because Todd Graham staying gives you a better chance for success than Herm Edwards staying because they're going to keep the coordinator. So it's basically going to be a lot of the same staff. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, which kind of you, you're asking them to keep a whole staff. They don't know each other. Like it just screams I'm lazy to me, you know, like they're just trying to stop gap this thing. When it first broke that Todd Graham was getting fired the first name that leaked was Kevin Sumlin, and that would have made sense why you would make a change in yeah, that case. Yeah, I thought he Not was to say that would be a slam dunk, but yeah. it would be a better hire. Right, it would have been a better hire. I agree with that. At least it would have been more current. So outside of the Pac-12, Matt Luke promoted at Ole Miss, and this is kind of semi-CU related because yes. there were a lot of rumors about McIntyre in that job. Yeah, I would have been surprised if Ole Miss pulled the trigger at this time there. Um, you know, I'm a little surprised they went with Matt Luke, too. That seems... Little suspect, given they've had a lot of issues with the NCAA, and he was obviously there during that. So. If it wasn't for the issues with the NCAA, they're not promoting Matt Luke to that job. I think right. that's the only reason. It's like, okay, the players love him. Let's just kind of try to stay alive through this mess that's coming because the NCAA yeah. hasn't dropped the hammer yet. And I, I would be concerned if I was Ole Miss because Mississippi State lost a coach without expecting to, and Dan Mullen going back to Florida, and then hired a stud right away. On top of that, so I think Mississippi State's going to gain a lot of momentum in that state. Scott Frost, it sounds like he's most likely to replace Mike Riley or uh, at Nebraska. Yeah, uh, I'm interested with that only because I mean Nebraska does get guys out of California and Florida, but traditionally they were a much better program when they were physical. Ran the H backs, you know, the wishbone, whatever you want to call it. Um, dominated with the lines. They're not going to do that under Scott Frost, probably. They're going to be exactly what they are at UCF, which is perfect for Florida. I'm not so sure how perfect it is for the Big Ten and for Nebraska. Maybe our old friend Troy Walters will be on the sideline, the other sideline, when we uh, head out to Lincoln next year. Yeah, maybe they should find a way to get him back. <laughs> that would be, that'd be nice. Tennessee's coaching search has been quite the ordeal. No surprise there. Uh, <laughs> Does anybody? It's almost like kind of like why would you run for presidency? You got to be crazy to want that job. At this point, are we reaching that territory pretty in Tennessee? Much. Yes. I follow that Penn State thing pretty closely because it was an intriguing story, and it just like you're like, what the hell just happened there? Greg Schiano, I don't remember his name coming up once during that whole yeah, saga. Yeah, it's just some BS, and you know, famous really cool guy down there in the south thinks he knows everything, so now he can. Enjoy Dan Doran probably or Dave Clay Travis is that who you're yes, talking about? Clay Travis. I knew the backlash. Was he the only person that was like crying for that? He basically he started the the whole thing. Thing, yeah. Okay. And you know Clay Travis is Clay Travis, so it's not really surprising to see him be in the fold of something like this. I posted this. Mike McIntyre should have been more professional to not hang up on him, 
But he shouldn't have been on that damn show to begin with, right? Yeah. He's going to stir up any controversy he can to make himself more famous. And I just don't love people like that. And then, of course, he's also the guy, like, it's one thing if you stir up controversy and know it. Like, he always does it. And then he's like, oh, not me. I just meant this. It's like, whatever, man. I can't stand it. So I I hope they get the worst possible coach ever and they go 0-12 and he gets to live with that. Texas A&M's trying to get Jimbo Fisher, but I can't imagine he's going to leave. Yeah, that would surprise me for sure. He likes it there. They have a ton of success there. Um, Obviously, he had a really tough year there at Florida State this year, but I think he'll bounce back. That would be a surprise. Texas doesn't seem like a great fit to me for him. Does Mike Leach try to cash in on recent success? Man, I don't know how his personality would really fit in A&M either. They're like the total opposite of Tech. That's why they hate each other. Well, his other. name's coming up with Tennessee now. Yeah, that would be... Interesting. Yeah, that would be fun. I'm almost, I'm almost on board with that. <laughs> Just to sit back and watch how that all goes? Yeah. Arkansas, they fired Brett Bielema on the field. That was probably not the uh, most classy thing that's ever happened. No, but he was so bad there. Still, I mean, come on, that's... That's bad. It was, yeah. But I, I, to be honest, I think it's a little embellished. I think he already knew that he was gone. So had Mike McIntyre left for Oxford, Les Miles probably would have been at the top of my hot board. Where does he end up? Uh, he, he's not even being considered for any of these SEC openings, which makes me believe that he doesn't want to coach. He does. He wants to coach. I know this. Then, then he should have been hired already. Okay. I agree. So... I, it's just a weird dynamic for me because all these SEC coaches open and he didn't get one interview. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. All right, Buff Stampede Radio Mailbag. This should be fun, Tyler. Positivity. You ready? You ready? Yes. All right. Jay Sermonara. Did I pronounce that right, you think? Sermonara. Looks good to all me. Right. Hi, guys. I have been a member for the last year and just renewed, so keep up the great work. I've never asked a question on the podcast, but I had to after this season. I was wondering how much do you know if McIntyre really was a candidate at Ole Miss? Were they interested? Was he? Did he interview? And if so, did that factor into the performance against Utah? Also, do you think he is the right coach still to continue to guide this program? Is he the coach that can get you to back-to-back bowls and consistently win six to eight games a year at least? Or is he able to uh, only able to consistently have four to five win seasons with 2016 being outside the norm? So I appreciate the kind words there. Uh, We will kind of take this bit by bit. In terms of the Ole Miss opening, from what I understand, yes, there was interest there for McIntyre in that job. Of course, he did not personally talk to Ole Miss. That's not how things are done, right? The agent reaches out, and Mike McIntyre has Jimmy Sexton as his agent, who's a he he represents Nick Saban, a lot of big guys in college football. Um, so he's got a big name, and I think sometimes any any time things leak in situations like this, it's probably because of the agent, right? Right. Um, he did not interview for the job, and I talked to people out at Ole Miss as this was kind of breaking, and they kept saying, "Look, like he's kind of on the radar, but I'd be really, really surprised if he gets this job." So I never really thought it was going to be a real thing, but I do know certain players. Maybe caught wind of the, some of those rumors, but I don't necessarily think it affected their play. Yeah, no, I don't think it really affected their play either. They got too much going on to worry about that. I think <clears throat> this team didn't care that much to play regardless of that anyways. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure how interested he was in the job. I think all the stuff from this past offseason definitely jaded McIntyre to, to Boulder a little bit, which I think to some degree is understandable. To some degree is both petty and dismissive. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the relationships are definitely not as good as they have been at this current moment. I'll say that for sure. He asked, is he the right coach to still continue to guide this program? <laughs> He was on the hot seat going into 2016, and he basically walked on water for a minute there, right? After that 10-win mm-hmm. season, and then came back down to earth with the whole Tompkin thing. Where, where do you view him after 2017? I think he has one more year to prove to me what he is as a coach. Uh, if we struggle again next year with talent level that's sufficient to make a bowl game, He's not bringing us to the next level as a program and you move on. I honestly think that's the case. Uh, if you make a bowl game next year, we're headed back in the right direction a little bit, and I think you hang on with what you've got. And outside of the D-line, he's brought a lot of more talent into this program than we've seen in other regimes. So I think next year's is make or break year, honestly. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we both agree that he did a great job in terms of building the foundation, and if he left the next coach would inherit a much, much better situation. Mm-hmm. But his question about is he the right coach still to continue to guide this program, you can't answer that definitively right now. Yeah, I agree. And I Unless think, you have an agenda. Yeah, I mean, I think the concern right now is he's a guy who can rebuild programs but can't get you to a consistent top 25 level. You know, and there's – it's not really a negative thing, I guess. I mean, what he did as quickly as he did at Colorado was very, very impressive. But you have to sustain that. And if we don't – you got to find somebody else. Wheeler, too, asked, can you comment on any insight into Max hurt feelings over the Tumpkin ordeal? I'm not buying it as an excuse for the season. If a coach wants out, I'd expect them to work even harder. I mean, well, let's not rehash this too much, but basically McIntyre goes to his superior. He hasn't been trained since 2013 on his role as a mandated reporter. Even when he was, it didn't specify this situation so he was frustrated because he's being vilified for something he wasn't properly trained for and again he went to a superior so it's understandable especially for a guy that is religious and tries to do the right things and and like that's going to hurt somebody like that more so than a Todd Graham type right yeah I mean I I agree with all that but I also agree that he wasn't very contrite and apologetic about the whole thing and he could have alleviated a lot of this stress on himself by just coming out immediately and saying I can't believe this happened I'll work to fix it I apologize for everybody that it hurt and this isn't how we do things as a program and it would have gone away a lot quicker and instead he kind of just made excuses and snuck away from it a little bit so it goes back to McIntyre being defensive in the situation right yeah, I really do think he was. It surprised me how defensive he was, and his apology compared to like you read the one next to Rick George, what he wrote in that letter, and what Mike McIntyre wrote in that letter, and I was just like, hmm, that's surprising. In terms of if that's still an issue, I, I mean, I think once you, it's like dating a girl, right? Once she shows you a few things you don't like, you're always gonna hold on to that stuff, right? It's not going away, <laughs> right? I agree with that 100, percent and yeah, I mean. I understand his frustration, but I also think he's not taking as much um, of of the situation. He's not, he's not, I guess, hitting it head on the way that I expected him to. 
Ellie Buff asked, what is your prediction of how many assistant coaches are replaced? You said two, right? Yeah. You already asked this question. I said I'd be surprised if there were more than one, but the fact that was back when they had three games to win one to get into a bowl game back-to-back years. Now I agree with you. I think two changes. Yeah, I, mean, you, I don't think he has – even if he doesn't want to do it, I think at some point you have to – like this has – something has to change here. What happened this year is not the direction that we were looking for. There's been a few people on staff that have continuously been not up to par in my opinion, and you got to make some changes. Buff Predictor did raise a good point here. He asked, with the glut of coaching positions – Are you concerned it may discourage McIntyre from making staff changes? Not only in terms of the turnover with head coaching jobs in college football, but in early January, literally every 129 FBS programs are going to be adding an assistant coach. And you know SEC programs are going to be able to offer a little bit more money than some other programs. So there's going to be – it's going to be tough to hire quality assistants this offseason. That is a real thing. Yeah, I think it's going to be tough, but you have to make changes and – there are, again, there are a few guys on staff that I think you can replace pretty easily, even if you don't find the greatest person of all time, that at least it'll be new blood, new life. They're in a new job. They have to work hard for a year to prove themselves. Sometimes those are the decisions you need to make. Boulder Level 3 asked, how does Mike McIntyre management style, how does his management style compare to other successful coaches? We know he is secretive, but are there other things that jump out to you? What is the biggest uh, difference you have noticed about him this year versus last year besides his weight? Do you think he is all in with coaching another year at CU? Well, there are a lot of really successful coaches that do it a lot of different ways. Right. So to say that how does his management style compare to other successful coaches? I mean, last year he was a very successful coach. So it's kind of a, mm-hmm. it's kind of a difficult question when it's posed that way. <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think the only thing that stood out to me so far this year is the sideline demeanor is embarrassing. Um, you can be frustrated. I get frustrated at calls all this all the time, but you got to move on and do your job. And he didn't do that multiple times this year. Like at some point, you got to do your job on the field. What are the differences that I've noticed? Um, I don't know. Maybe the National Coach of the Year awards gave him the ability to close it up more than he had in the past. Yeah, I mean, for us, it's a lot different than it had been in years past. I'm not 100% convinced that's all him, though. Um, uh, everyone tells me the reason the practices are closed as much as they are, it's because of McIntyre. I just don't think it's beneficial, really, to the program. There, A lot of people, even before the year started, felt like they weren't as connected to this team yeah. as in years past. It was way more negative because of that than it should have been right in 2017. Yeah, and that, I just, you're, you're inviting... A storm when you handle things like this and if you struggle people are going to fall off the wagon quicker when you didn't give them that yeah. personal relationship they're looking and you know for. the best example of that is tad boyle i would i end up defending him a lot more because of the access and the honesty that he has with the media right and he you're right that is a perfect example because he always takes blame and credit for everything no matter what He's honest with his answers. He's not going to defend guys who don't deserve to be defended. He allows you to show up to his practice. And this is what I'll say. Like, you can go see a lot more basketball practices than you can football right now. And they're giving you a better product as well. This is a team that has a chance to – and for the past decade, they've given you a better product, to be honest, outside of last year. Maybe for those people who are showing frustration and saying they don't want tickets and all this kind of stuff, maybe you should just – 
look at a different year, you know, put your positivity somewhere else that deserves it. Is the damage already done in that sense, or could they open it up this spring and, and camp oh, and get some people back? Of course, you could easily fix it, but I don't think they're going to, which says a lot. A fan for CU asked, how soon until Mac leaves? I would imagine the earliest would be 2018 right now. Yeah, I mean, if he doesn't have success next year, I feel pretty confident he won't be back. So I guess that's my answer. But right, I, I would be very surprised if he's not back next year. Elrod asked, do you get a headache from reading the message board sometimes? I would if I read the message boards after Don't games. say that, Tyler. I, dude, I, I, can't have for, to, I have to take promotion. days off. It's just a fact. When, when it's that bad, dude, I have to. Otherwise, I just get too freaked out. So I usually take a good two or three days off after losses before I come back on because I'm an emotional person and I need my sanity. All right, fair enough. CL34 asked, which redshirted players look the best this fall? How do you see the running back competition shaking out this spring and next fall? Will it be a duo of Lee and Fontenot? Project the starting offense next fall. Let's hold off on the offense until we've got a lot. We got eight months, Tyler, to go through this stuff. So let's not get too ahead of ourselves. But he asked about who looked the best this fall in terms of redshirting players. Well, we didn't get to see with our own eyes to belabor <laughs> the point. Uh, but it sounds like Fontenot, Colby Purcell, and Van Deese were the three names I heard the most. Yeah, those are definitely the names that we heard a ton of. I mean, they talked a lot about Terrence Wayne getting Glenn, wow, Wayne, <laughs> Glenn getting getting his strength back, which was nice. Um, I feel like Will Sherman was brought up a good amount as well as a guy who was looking yeah. good on the interior of the line. Tyler Lighter's got, got some arm talent too. We've heard that. Yeah, yeah. We haven't seen a ton of him yet, which is, again, talking about our point. I'd like to see how he looks in the spring. Um, yeah, you know. There'll, and there'll always be a surprise that pops up that we're like, oh, wow, he looks a lot better than we expected. He asked if it's going to be a duo of Lee and Fontenot. I think Kyle Evans probably has a better chance to play than Lee if you're talking about a duo. <laughs> yeah, if he's fully healthy. I think they're going to kind of go back to the, the committee there. How, how, far can, how deep can you go on a running back committee? Can it be three guys, four guys? Yeah, I mean, I think... Fisherette's in there, of course. <laughs> if you have three, you're probably going to have a guy who's taking 60% of your snaps and then maybe two that are sharing the rest. We know you think Fontenot will lead the Seaman carries in 2018? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, I think that's what's best for the program moving forward. Uh, he looked great as a one-back guy, fits the offense really well. Um, Kyle Evans, you know, he's better than I think people expected him to be, but you got to be able to if, – if you're trying to run a high pace, I think Fontenot's what you need. Okay. Tyler, let's do your updated Pac-12 football power rankings. All right, so basically the last one of the year, I guess I would say. Um, Oregon State is last. It's the least shocking thing of all time here. I don't really need to delve too much into that, I don't think. They lost by, what, 416 against Oregon in the last week of the year? Mm-hmm. Um, I had California 11th. Couldn't even beat UCLA without Josh Rosen. That says a lot to me. We handled them fairly comfortably as well. I don't think there is a real um, doubt about which two teams are the worst in the Pac-12 this year. Colorado's 10th, finished last in the South. Um, there's nobody else in front of them that you could really even make an argument for. I think they're pretty comfortably 10th, so disappointing year overall for them. UCLA, I have 9th. Obviously, one one and to get into a bowl game against Cal to end the year without Rosen. Rosen's healthier most of the year. They're probably higher on this list, but you could also make the argument that they should be even lower because without Rosen, they're pretty hapless. 
Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens next year with Chip Kelly. I assume their incoming class will be pretty substantial, so they'll probably play a lot of young guys next year. Uh, Utah at number eight. Um, I, I just didn't really think they were that good this year, honestly. As soon as we actually showed up in the game, we competed. Uh, they, they, you know, they beat two teams with injured quarterbacks in Pac-12 play prior to our game. They lost a lot of close games, too, I'll say that for sure. But that's just kind of their program. They're, they typically are capable of staying in games with their, you know, by dominating in the trenches. It'll be interesting to see next year that Carrington's gone, right? That was right. He was year. a grad transfer. So, I don't know. They don't have a ton. Tyler Huntley's of, back, obviously. Yeah, but he wasn't fantastic, and they don't have a ton of other weapons that I love. I think I think uh, their running back is back one more year, right? Moss is back. No, he was a He's, senior. Oh, he was. Okay, I thought yeah. he was a junior. So again, you know, they got a lot to replace. Um, next for me was Arizona. Had them seventh. Uh, kind of faltered towards the end of the year. Surprised they lost that. ASU game, although Khalil Tate didn't play, so that was kind of interesting. He missed. Zach Moss is back. My bad. He is back. Okay, yeah, I thought he was a junior. Um, so they'll obviously have to. He's actually a sophomore, so he got two he's, more years. Oh, he's a sophomore. Okay, yeah. nice. There you go. Oh yeah, he's in the same class as Huntley. They're from the same high school. I well, forgot okay. I forgot yeah. about that. Uh, Oregon is a team that I had ending up sixth. They looked pretty good down the stretch with a healthy quarterback. Um, if they had been able to keep him healthy all year, they probably would have been even higher than this. Um, defensively, pretty suspect, but did a really nice job on Khalil Tate towards the end of the year as well. Um, Arizona State, I had fifth, still fired their coach, second in the South, finished really strong. They had a one and two non-conference slate, um, but finished really strong in conference play, beat their rival in the last game of the year. Offensively, much better than I think people expected this year. Defensively, they were supposed to be terrible, but you were looking at the guys in the team like there's a lot of talent here. They should be pretty good, and they ended up being pretty good defensively, so that was The question nice. is, was the AD rooting against them internally in that last game? Yeah, I mean, I think their fan base. Because he already internally. obviously knew he was going to fire the guy because yeah. they won that football game. Yeah, I think their fan base was rooting against them for a good portion of the year too, which is kind of an interesting year to be in. I mean, with ASU is at Blake Street. They do their watch parties there, and most of the guys who run the group don't like him and wanted him fired, so... Um, Washington said I had number four. That game honestly went how I expected. Uh, I've been calling them a paper tiger all year long. They weren't that impressive to me. I mean, the record ended up being pretty good, but I think it's pretty clear to say that they weren't really competing as one of the best teams in the Pac-12 this year. Washington, I have third. Didn't win their own division. Um, lost to Stanford, so can't really make an argument above that. They're probably a pretty disappointing season for them I would say overall Stanford number two uh, how they dominated Notre Dame down the stretch of that game said a lot about how their season has ended up they always finish really strong they got a really physical strong group so after a, a tough opening to the season for them they finish really strong as well and then USC I have number one uh, they're going to be favored in the Pac-12 championship game against Stanford by a field goal I think it is <laughs> yeah I think it was four last time okay. I saw and uh it, probably a disappointing year for them, too, honestly. They're not really in the playoff picture despite being a favorite early on. Um, you know, when you don't have a bye and you have injuries, you're going to lose some games. And, you know, they lost at Washington State. It's not exactly a terrible loss. And they also got smoked at Notre Dame. But, I mean, beat some pretty good teams, too. It's nice to feel disappointed going 10-2. I think that 
bye week, we saw it with Colorado. Like, I don't think that's a good thing to have going into the championship game. No. They played by far their best game of the year against Stanford. Um, and that probably lends to them being a favorite. But if you put a gun to my head, I'm taking the four points at Stanford in that game. Yep. I think that's probably fair. Bryce Love, of course, he's hobbled, but the dude just summons up enough strength to, to do what he needs to do between the whistles. Let's talk a little basketball before we sign off, Tyler. They're 6-0 and now after a win over Air Force. The Buffs out-rebounded the Falcons 42-21. to So finally starting to get the rebounding going, which was the biggest concern for this team going into the season. Yeah, I mean, I, you have to really like how this team is playing. They finished games really strong. They have not relinquished leads. They've put teams away. They're a young group that's fun to watch. They're shooting the ball decently. They're attacking the rim. I really like what Neyman Wright's doing. He's been really, really solid in pretty much all facets of the game. George King is finally starting to you know, decide he's the best player on this team. He's had two straight huge games. He needs to be aggressive every single time out. Not always doesn't always have to shoot well, but he does have to rebound well. He's got to get other guys involved, and this team will be successful. McKinley Wright's a stud, man, and there's not really much else to say about it. He's going to be here all four years, and he's going to be a very special player at Colorado. I think he can be all-conference three of his years on campus. I honestly do. Uh, he's that good. He gets other guys involved. And I think the future of this program is extremely bright. You mentioned George King. He had 25-15 and 15 against Air Force. How many like games like that would it take for you to believe inconsistency issues are subsiding a little bit during a senior season? Um, <laughs> it probably won't happen this year, honestly. Um, you always kind of have that in the back of your mind. Yeah, there, it can always happen. It's, he seemed to really struggle in big games and in tournament situations, so I'm always going to have that concern in my head until he, we get there and he does something. Um, and my frustration with him is, is difficult to understand because I love him as a player, and that's why he frustrates me so much because I think he can do things like this every single night. Some guys frustrate me because they're not any good. He frustrates me because he is so good and doesn't always act on it. Um, so, you know, there, there'll always be a little bit of a concern there, but, you know, it'd be nice if he could really blow up senior year and have a huge season. Next game is at CSU on Saturday up there in Fort Collins at Moby Arena. What are your, your thoughts there? Have you had a chance to watch CSU at all this year? Yeah, I've watched them twice, and I actually thought they were going to be pretty good this year, and so far they've have proven me quite wrong. They haven't looked very good at all. Um, most of their young guys I, I thought would have big improvements have not been great. They just have a very consistent group, which they have a lot of junior college players. So that's you're going to get that. There's not a lot of chemistry with that team, it doesn't look like. Uh, their guard play is a little bit suspect. Prince Nixon's a good player. He's just not very consistent, um, which is hard to really pinpoint why. Uh, they got some athletic wings. You know, their bigs are going to give us a little bit of issue probably because they they definitely play more size than we do. Nico Carvacho is a big guy uh, who kill, killed us last year. Um, Larry Eustace, said he was an NBA player, and that was probably the stupidest thing I've ever seen someone utter in my life. But uh, he will give us a little bit of trouble because he can play inside and outside. Moby's kind of like Coors Event Center in the fact that when fans show up, that is a really, really tough building to play in. The noise just kind of... It gets trapped in there. Yep. Um, so I, you got to expect a really live atmosphere for this mm -hmm. this basketball. Yeah, game. it's gonna be your first true road test. It's gonna be the only road test all year where you have some vitriol speed your way because no one really hates Colorado in the Pac-12. So that you know you're not gonna get that type of environment. Um, I, what's nice though is I think they've put themselves in a position where the result doesn't really matter. I mean, a, a win would be huge for them, 
but a loss, and you're still, I think, ahead of where expectations were for this team moving forward. So, well, we uh, saw a CSU loss kind of make last season tailspin, though. Right. I mean, yeah. Obviously, if it tailspins the year, it, it, I don't think it has the potential to do that this season. The expectations are different, and it's a road game. I mean, everyone knows how things. You know, on the road in college basketball, anytime you win, that's big. Um, CSU's been disappointing, so it's going to be a worse loss than maybe we were expecting going in there. But I still think this team can have a lot of success and exceed expectations despite this game. Um, this For whatever reason, the basketball rivalry just doesn't really – it's not a thing uh, the way that it is with football. So I don't, I don't know if it's as big of a deal. <laughs> okay. Lucas Seward is trying to get back, but Tad Boyle said yesterday that he's still wincing. So that doesn't sound like he's going to play on Saturday. Uh, but then they have another break after the CSU game. Mm-hmm. So if he's at least trying to practice, that means that he might be ready when, at the very least, uh, the game after CSU. Yeah, that final, well, really five-game stretch with New Mexico at home. They have South Dakota State. They have San Diego, who are both really good. I don't know if people realize how good both of those teams are. And then they have Iowa and Xavier on the schedule before conference play. Those are all games that CU could lose. So them being as healthy as possible is going to be important. Bobby Hurley doing some things down in the desert there. ASU upsets Xavier. Do you think the Sun Devils are real? Yeah, I said before the season I think they're going to be very good, uh, improved. I don't, I don't know if they're a tournament team. They might be, which would be surprising. Their Trey Holder, is he the best player in the Pac-12 this year? No, he's not the best player in the Pac-12. But I don't even know if he's the best guard on his team. Shannon Evans <laughs> is really good, too. Um, they have two really, really good guards. The rest of that team, though, is going to be the question mark. I mean, no, Alonzo Trier is the best player in the Pac-12, but um, they've been very impressive and fun to watch. They have the number one ranked offense in the country right now. So, And, and they haven't just beaten nobody. They've beaten some good teams. They beat Xavier. Um, so they're, I had Stanford as my fifth team to kind of maybe sneak into the tournament. They have been putrid so far this year, making me look stupid. ASU maybe could be that fifth one to sneak okay. in. Okay. Yeah, Washington, UCLA, Utah, and USC, all with zero or one losses early on in the season. Uh, do, do you think this conference is better than maybe we thought it was going to be going no, into the season? No, I think, I, think Still? It's wor- I think it's worse, honestly. Really? Okay. Arizona's really struggled. Um, USC looks good, not quite as good as I expected. UCLA has not looked great yet. Oregon has been disappointing so far. I mean, Washington State has been better than expected. ASU has been better than expected. And CU has been better than expected for sure. But Cal is terrible. Washington's not very good. Oregon State's been disappointing. Stanford has been disappointing. By and large, most of the league is not. It kind of sounds a little bit like almost Pac-12 football where you're going to have teams cannibalizing each other. Do you see that happening? Yeah, this is the worst Power 5 basketball conference easily. Um, so I, you know, But describing I mean, having the teams at the bottom being better than expected, that sounds like... Well, Washington State, Washington State is better than expected. Um, ASU is predicted to finish in the middle of the league. I think they'll exceed that. But, I mean, the, the Cal is terrible and was expected to be terrible, and Washington is terrible and was expected to be terrible as well. So, yeah, I mean, there's still some bad teams in the league for sure. Well, we're going to sign off now because we have a special premium recruiting podcast coming your way on Friday. I definitely hope you guys check into that. We're going to go down the commit list and basically break down all of what we're hearing with this 2018 commitment list and who they're targeting as signing day fast approaches. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time.